on this aviation special, I sit down with Joe Way, CTS and PhD now, about his new book, Producing Worship. We talk about what a technical artist is, how you can train your church uh, volunteer staff, and how integrators can best serve the house of worship market. All that and more, next on this AV Nation special. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is an AV Nation special, producing worship with Joe Way. This is an AV Nation special. My name is Tom Albright. I am your host. With me to discuss his brand new book and what it's like to get a PhD uh, in the AV industry, Mr. Joe Way. Welcome, sir. Hey, thank you for having me on. It's great Absolutely. to be here. Uh, Joe is uh, he's a PhD, I mentioned. He's also a CTS, so find another one of those, I dare you. Uh, Joe is the <laughs> Director of Multimedia Services at California Baptist University in Riverside. He also uh, volunteers uh, as, uh, at Saddleback Church there and is the host of the Higher Ed AV podcast, which you should check out. And I mentioned he, got, he has a PhD. He got it from the University of Birmingham, uh, UK, uh, in theological and the technical arts. That is, first of all, congratulations on that in general, sir. Oh, thank you. It's, uh, it's been a long time coming. It's great to have and, and kind of be at this place. So, so I, I mentioned, you know, find another PhD with a CTS. I actually know two others, um, but that is a uniqueness in, in, our, in our industry uh, and, and getting a, you know, PhD in the, in the technical arts. The, the book that we, we, we mentioned, the, the book that we're, we're talking about is is your dissertation for, for your you know, there's no other way around it um your doctoral dissertation is is this book but you say in, in the introduction that instead of publishing in a peer-reviewed journal which is what you normally would do with with your uh with your master's dissertation or a phd dissertation you chose to public it publish it as a book why is that yeah, because I really wanted to reach people, right? I mean, I know that, you know, as, you know, tech artists or AV people, especially those in the church, they're not going to pick up the latest, you know, academic journal. They're not going to, you know, pay these enormous prices for academic books. And the whole idea of my uh, study was to be able to look at how, you know, the church in general, houses of worship use AV in the you know, production of their services. So the only way I was going to be able to actually get this out for people at a price that would be affordable and in, and also just redacting the, you know, the language to make it more, you know, say less scholarly and more, you know, straightforward was to be able to send it out as a regular book. Well, the name of the book is, is producing worship. I probably should have started the interview with yep. that. It's producing worship. How do people get a hold of it um, real quickly if they, if they want to? Well, it is uh, going to be available on Amazon starting next uh, Tuesday, but uh, it actually, that would be December 11th. And um, basically you can go to producingworship.com and uh, the link is there to be able to check it out. Also some uh, in kind of previews of the various chapters are there as well. Uh, one of the things that you, you talk about a lot is, is this is a book, correct me if I'm wrong, but the, when I was reading it, it's a book for the church production market is for technical artists, as you label them. How would you describe the state of the church production team today? You know, are they all artists? 
You know, oh gosh, that's a great question because uh, if you think about kind of where this has gone, right? I mean, if you walk into one any of the you know mega churches around the country, and it doesn't even have to be a mega church anymore, you see all this AV stuff that can put a lot of studios to shame, right? And you have people who are now coming in that aren't trained AV people and actually running this and creating full productions that could be on par with, you know, pretty much anything out there. But that wasn't always the case. I mean, if you think, gosh, just a decade or two ago, you know, there, we know that, you know, tech artists for the church were probably not held to the highest esteem, right? They were in this equipment and doing some pretty poor quality things with it. And, but now that's changed. You know, we're, getting more who are attending conferences and attending professional trainings and getting their own certifications in order to bring a level of professionalism to it. And so to me, that starts to become, you know, the technical artist because you're using your craft, wanting to perfect it. Uh, And then, I mean, it it is an art, right? I mean, even though if we're looking at it from, you know, either an integration side or if we're looking at it from kind of a straight business side, yeah, it can just be black boxes. But once you start looking at it from the content side, you become an artist. You, you, you and I were talking about this a little bit beforehand. I started out my world at AV, and at the time I had no idea what AV was. I was 14 years old. That was 30 years ago now, right? Um, and, I, and I attended and still attend the same church, a pretty progressive church. I was doing lighting at 14 years old, right? So that was my introduction to it. Um, I, cause, and I want to read a, a quote you, that you pulled from, from John Dyer of, of Dallas Technological Theological Seminary. He notes that some church leaders consider technology, quote unquote, necessary evil uh, that we use until Christ returns, end quote. Hmm. Why do you think some leaders think it's evil? Well, because it can be done poorly, right? I mean, okay. how many of us have seen, you know, you know, the pastor steps up, the mic doesn't come on. <laughs> right? I think the evilness comes from poor quality and therefore people know, but if I'm speaking to an auditorium of 2000 people, I can't not have the microphone. I must have my iMag up there. There are certain things that become necessary, but when done poorly, you know, start bringing that bad, you know, the bad vibe to thinking, okay, well, why do I have to have this? Well, you have to have it because the only way now we can get your message out, the only way we can get it on, you know, Facebook Live and all these things that churches are starting to do, you need the microphone, you need the camera, right? And so it becomes that necessary evil. And that's where you start to like notice the change in the quality. And hence why I even wanted to put this book out is starting to take an entire demographic that I feel has been underserved and say, okay, well, how can you now understand your craft, right? Let's look at it in the purpose that you're doing it in. And now if you can understand your craft and the reason you're doing it, maybe now we can attack it uh, from a higher level of either responsibility, I don't know what the right word is for that, so that when we're doing it, we know that, you know, the, the high quality craftsmanship is important. And then maybe that view will start to change a little bit. You know, and it can be something that people can look at as go, I want that rather than, well, okay, do we have to have it? <laughs> well, the reason yeah. I, I bring this up is that my, my grandfather, um, who, who has since, you know, passed on, 
he was a an old country church. He was an old country church pastor, right? For years, we're talking, you know, um, the sticks of, of Southeast Missouri, and, and that's where he lived. He would not have seen even a microphone mm-hmm. as a good, right? You think it's a generational thing that we can we can educate, you know, the the older generations that, and like you said, you know, to take the evil out of it to, to demonstrate to them how how this can be used for good. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's funny because I thought about this even as I was writing it. You said, there you go, the average church size in the United States is 80 people. Yep. Okay. 80. That means the average church probably doesn't need a microphone nor want one, right? Because you just don't need it. But if you look at our generational change, I dare you to find anybody who's under 30 who isn't staring at their cell phone every five minutes. Under 40. It, Exactly. Yeah, I did. You know, I won't even give my name in there, but I know I do it, you know, but that's just the way things have changed. So we're looking at this little device that's bringing us information, right? And so if the church wants to succeed in the long run, which we know the end of the story, they will. But if we want to be able to use technology as a tool for that, we have to be able to communicate to the next generation in the way they communicate. And I bring that up in the book, right? It's, you know, where, where is that change from being evil to good? It's like, well, we can, and the church has done this from day one, is be able to use what contemporary society sees as its cultural norm and bring it into the people, you know? And that's where the new generation walks into the church if they can relate in the way if we're not telling them, you have to do it this way, and, and we actually bring it to them the way they're used to, we do this in higher ed all the time. I mean, this is my, day to, my daily job in higher ed is looking at the way pedagogy works. Good teaching, active learning teaching has come about, not because some professor said, I want to start flipping the classroom, but because students changed in the way they learned. So it was professors who had to change to be able to communicate with the students and this is the same thing that's happening in the church now. You know, so yeah, maybe does an 80-person church need one? No, but if they want to connect to the next generation so that they don't become a 70-person church to a 60-person church to being gone, they're going to have to reach people in a way that they're getting their information. Yeah, an old, an old, uh, old boss of mine said, you go where the audience is. Yep. Serve them where they are. So, um, break down for me the, the basic thinking behind transforming what, what some have considered a volunteer position or, or mostly volunteering position um, or a sister tool or a sister tool to worship, as you say, mm-hmm. into a theological ministry. Well, that's a good one. Well, see, cause here's the thing is if I want to even, I'll just take it right back into, you know, chapter three, right? Which is where I actually talk about the building of the tabernacle back yep. in ancient Israel. And, if you look at the text, it's one of those, the, the building of the tabernacle, anyone who kind of reads the Bible, that's the pages that start sticking to bet together because you don't actually ever read them. You just skip past it. It's the boring, you, you, you know, don't read numbers every day, you know, you, you know, there's, there's a good chunk. You can get right through the Bible and have, you know, really quickly there. But if you start looking at the actual words, 20 sometimes, whatever it is, the word skill is being used to describe the work they're doing. Their words of craftsmanship and wisdom and knowledge, all these things that we, you know, look at, I mean, what's, what's the CTS, you know, kind of introductory line, right? AV is for 
is for a communication, right? That's the whole purpose of AV is communication. Well, the exact same things are listed right there as the purpose of this. It's for the, you know, the people to be able to communicate and commune with God, right? So nothing has changed actually. And so when we start to look at it that way and go, okay, when I talk about a church volunteer, I don't necessarily mean whether or not, you know, the difference is whether they're paid or not, right? A volunteer might not be paid, but you can be a professional and still be a volunteer. Yep. Right. So there's a difference. And I think people assume that those would have to go together, right? That, you know, you're only a professional if you're paid. Well, not really. Right. Cause you could still come into a very high level of craftsmanship and you can volunteer and still be able to achieve your goal. And that's exactly what's being done all throughout, you know, the scriptures. You've got people who are just giving yet the level they're doing could not be matched by anybody else. Right. And so I think that's where it's the beginning to change the way you're looking at it. And I believe that's actually happening in the house of worship side. I think you're getting a lot of volunteers or let's say young tech directors who are now starting to, they'll show up at NAM, they'll show up at Infocom, they'll show up and, you know, and start to go, okay, maybe I, there's, did you know there's more than just the trade show floor? There's classes, there's things like that. And I think there was a whole decade where no one realized that. It was just show up and look at the shiny buttons. And now it's, okay, oh, I've got a whole track of education I can be taking. And I think the, the change there is really what's adjusting. Maybe we should rethink what a church volunteer is. Yeah. That's a, actually a really good thought right there. It's rethinking what a church volunteer is. How do you get that through then, not only through the leadership of the church, whether that's the senior pastor or the, or the senior tech director or the music director, whoever kind of oversees that, but also filter that down into the volunteer staff? Well, I think it comes to understanding the importance of it. And this is something that, you know, not to give away much of the conclusion of the book, but here's one little point that I end up making. Um, what here's okay a lot of times we think of you know the the technical artist as the person who cert does mixes the worship service right mixes the band and then you know the band walks off and they're done the pastor comes back comes up but the tech artist never actually leaves the guy at the soundboard doesn't go back to the green room when the worship is over right he has an important role when this is being done right all throughout it so i think when the senior pastor realizes wow this is I still need this person and what they're doing is key to the way that my message is getting out and we bring the communication together. I mean, I think too, I mean, we all know this, that, you know, AV people can kind of be the most negative person in the room quite often. You know, we are the department of no. Uh, but if we start to change that and we come together with the senior leadership, I mean, how is this any different than, if you're an integrator and you're working with your end user and the, you know, the bean counters in the room, you need to build that relationship, right? So if we build that relationship and then we focus on, Hey, look, I'm here to support what your vision is. And I have great tools to be able to do so. And we kind of, we build that bridge. Now we can start to change and adjust what, you know, you know, how they're viewed and to be able to get them in the room early. Right. And I think that's a lot of what happened is, when you brought AV into, you know, either the church world, I mean, gosh, we still complain about it in commercial integration, right? The AV guy is the last one to bring in, right? Architecture plans are done. Everything is done. And now, dude, walls know, are closed. I mean, closed. <laughs> and like, wait, what do you mean you have to hang speakers? You can't block my beautiful mural. You know, uh, but so a lot of it's no different, 
But if we start to build the communication, and the, I think that this is a place where House of Worship could actually take the lead because mm-hmm. they work day to day with senior leadership, right? And I think maybe that's something a lot of the mega churches have already gotten right because there's so much focus on, I mean, they're talking about, you know, planning for Christmas services in June, right? Easter poll is done and they're already looking at this. So those conversations are being had. Well, maybe, you know, top to bottom, those are things we should start to think about and get ourselves in the room early. And I mean, I'd love to see, you know, the the church tech people be able to define our entire industry by knowing, hey, I've built my my relationship and it thrives because of it. I mean, how great would that be for all of us? Oh my gosh, yeah, absolutely. For everybody from the pastor all the way through the person sitting on the last pew. So, <laughs> um, in, in chapter two, you run through a, a pretty impressive history of music and worship, and not just prototypical Christian worship, but but other religions as well. I think you started out with with the Egyptians, and the only reason for music uh, in the Egyptian uh, religious structure was, or the Egyptian culture was for the the worship of of their gods. Mm-hmm. Do you have or what what line or correlation? is there between, for you, between how humans used music in their faith in ancient times to today and how we use it? Well, I mean, again, I don't really think there has been a change, right, other than purpose, right? I mean, you could say that we get much more just general entertainment out of music, right? But look at the, look at the entertainment industry. You know who can use music the best? Disney, hmm. Right. Look at the way they can, or, you know, films know how to use music to stir emotion and to drive your thoughts in a certain way. And that's exactly how the purpose of the the church is today, right? When you do a worship set, the whole idea is to get your mind from the street to pointing toward God and pointing toward what the message is going to be. And that's exactly what used to be done in Egyptian times of Phoenicia, throughout all throughout the Middle East, is music what knew that, and actually I point this out, a quote from Aristotle in the book, is that he realized that, you know, the idea of technology is not just that it's a tool, but it has, you know, rhetorical, you know, purposes. In other words, you can influence thought through technology. Well, gosh, duh, right? I mean, isn't that exactly why we do what we do? But maybe we don't think of it in that way because we're too thinking about it in entertainment terms and not as much in in ideas that what we do influences people's actions and thoughts. And uh, and and so that's where I think that that has maybe changed only because we have lost sight of it. Mm. But I don't think the actual principle has ever changed. And when we realize that what we do actually can impact people, that's where that's going to start to come into view. Uh, You reference worship war battles several times throughout, Mm -hmm. throughout the book. What are these, these worship battles? Well, and that's, see, that to me is a great one because anyone who'd been around the church kind of production time, say within a little over a decade ago, it's probably switched this last decade when all of a sudden, you know, rock and roll, the Jesus movement and all that came into the church. It was like, whoa, 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 what are you doing to my, you know, my choir here? And you're adding a, you know, a drum kit to this, you know, an electric guitar. And that was that battle of what is the church going to do? Music has changed. Contem- you know, you've got rock and roll. People are not listening to classical hymns anymore. 
you know? So, okay, what, what are we going to do with this? And that was the biggest fight that had been done is, is the church going to say no to it or is it going to embrace it? I mean, here's the thing. It did embrace it, right? That is exactly what is going to happen, right? The, uh, if you walk into a normal church, you hear contemporary styles. Again, it's right back to what I said. The church has now embraced modern you know, uh, cultural ways as its method for you know, sending out the word. And now this is exactly what AV is going through. See, worship leaders had to do it 20 years ago. But they did it by making sure they stayed biblical. They pr- proved to their pastors that, hey, I might have a, con- you know, a rock song, but here's the lyrics. They're still straight out of Scripture. And now people are relating to this. Well, now as AV people, we have to do the same thing, right? Because going back to what I said with poor quality, with things where maybe we didn't really prove that it was something that could be useful. But now if we can then step in and say, hey, we have a battle going because some people still say we don't need this, but we can show that, you know, if I can use my colors to magnify what the song, if I can use camera angles to be able to, you know, now demonstrate, you know, just as Hollywood does, right, to make, give a greater, greater impact to what you're presenting, you know, I can send your slides. I, just those things, I mean, I think the direction of everything is going online, which of course is no doubt we are no we know we're moving that direction but you know if we can say hey i've got a tool for you that your message can't not only be heard by these 60 people in the room but 600 people or 6000 people i mean that's not just you know growing your church that's you know getting out the word i mean the whole purpose is to get their message out to people well if you can magnify that you know that's exactly what our our role is and that's the big challenge for you know, church tech people is to embrace that, you know, and, and fight for that. Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned, you know, the, the 10, 20, 10, 20 years ago, uh, in, in 2001, Newsweek had a cover story. Uh, and this, I was still back in radio in a news talk station and we took this cover and ran with it. Um, and, uh, actually interviewed, interviewed, uh, one of the singers from DC talk. Uh, the cover story said Jesus freak. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you remember this or not. And they were covering the, the, the they interviewed a bunch of folks um, on the Festival Condios uh, music festival, which was again, 20 years ago, almost at this point. And they talked with, you know, Audio Adrenaline and DC Talk and Newsboys and, and, and Pellar and several others. But they were talking about the mainstreamness of the Christian music uh, at, at mm-hmm. that time. Now, um, Joe and I are, are roughly the same age. And so he and I remember uh, even <laughs> 10 years before that, bands like Striper and DC Talk um, and Petra, uh, for mm-hmm. crying out loud, um, which even then, even in the late 80s, there were hand ringing, there was hand wringing among some of the, again, generational, older um, constituencies within the church saying the same thing is, is what, what is this music and, and why are we letting our kids listen to it? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but I think some of this is, and you, you can, you, you know, agree or disagree on this. It's also a, a leadership change, right? Where 30 years ago, you and I were teenagers, right? And we were mm-hmm. the, we were the rebellious ones listening to this, this, this is Christian rock. And now, you know, some of us are, are in positions of leadership within the church. And some of us are pastors. I mean, one, a guy that I grew up with uh, in central Illinois, he's, he's a lead pastor uh, out in California. He, you know, he's, he's our age. 
And so those, those people, those, those young men and women who grew up with this music have actually, you know, again, grown up with it and, and they see the benefit of it. And I think that's actually also helping to change some of the mentalities of folks who may push, push back against it. So. Yeah. Wait, so what you're saying is that kids tend have a tendency to want to listen to different things than their parents and grandparents? God loves Southern <laughs> gospel, but I just, I mean, I really don't. And, and yeah, my dad still loves Bill Gaither and I'm sure he's a nice guy, but just not my cup of tea. Yeah. No, but this is, you just nailed it right there though. I mean, this is what's been going on since the beginning of time, right? Yeah. But also that's not a, you know, it's just a matter of now, are we going to embrace it? And I think that we've had the biggest cultural change. I mean, if you think back and I always, I mean, I sit there and go, okay, I can fly from here to the UK. Like basically, I'm sure there's a flight going out in probably an hour. By the time I could get to LAX and I could be having dinner, you know, out in the UK tonight or, you know, maybe breakfast with time change. I was going to say, yeah, but, but, change. <laughs> but nonetheless, okay, you couldn't do that 150 years ago. Right. But so we so think of our time as be almost being the way things always were. And that's even a point I make very early in the book where people say, well, I'm traditional. And I do this. Really? How traditional are you? Because, you know, the way things were, you could not have done it three, four generations ago. Yeah. And so you can only be as traditional as you can remember. And so maybe we have to rethink that, you know, things are always changing. And that's not a bad thing, right? I mean, and that's where, especially as AV, we can't get, we can't get comfortable, right? As soon as we do it, you know, every time we do an install, and I do this all the time, we just opened up two brand new buildings on campus and I'm sitting here going, oh, I really wish I did an AV over IP on that. But, you know, I couldn't have imagined that two years ago when I was designing the system. Things are only becoming, changing more rapid, more rapid, more rapid. So I think there is, and I think, that the new generation will, will see a huge change. Like I have a teenage daughter who will embrace technology like nothing else, right? And so what's going to happen is when her generation or maybe the next generation after are now in our roles, I mean, it's going to be scary good because they're going to be fearless with their technology. And just say, all right, let's test this. Let's see what we can do. Where we still, maybe in our age, we still want to hold on to what's secure. You know, maybe I want to make sure I got a good solid point-to-point connection, you know, so this doesn't fail. They'll be like, yeah, heck no, let's go for it. Let's try it. And that's just a big cultural shift that I think is going to just rock our industry and rock the church. I mean, I, and I noticed that, I note that right, at the, right in the book that we got to rethink what we think of as traditional. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as we wrap up here, you you mentioned this before. You were uh, in chapter three talking about uh, Bezalel, and I may may be mm-hmm. mispronouncing his name, but the the lead kind of architect, the lead construction person for the temple, uh, or for the, the the tent under Moses. Why do you think today's technical artists are the modern version of of Bezalel? Uh, that's great, and you na- you you nailed it. Pronunciation there. Good job. You know what? You Gold star for the day on that. Um, so, I mean, and here's the thing. The parallel is there, which is really what was amazing to me. When I first sat down to, you know, kind of, I knew what direction I wanted to move in. When I sat down with my, my dissertation, I knew that there was an underserved demographic, right? But I honestly had no idea what direction it would take. 
And the entire, so I, I thought, all right, let me just throw this out there and see where there are parallels. And it was just like, I, I noticed the, you know, the, the pages that stick together that no one reads. And it's amazing how when you start taking the qualities that are noted of the person, right? Because if you ask probably the average, I'd say even the average, you know, um, you know, average church person, but, you know, take the average person and say, who built the tabernacle? They're going to say Moses did, right? It, anyone who has, you know, normal Sunday school person will say Moses did. They will not say that it was Bezalel and it was just in the Holy Ab and, and they're, you know, they're added workers. And, and so you realize that he's been kind of washed away through history. But then when you start looking at the qualities that he has, it's craftsmanship, the ability to teach, the knowledge, learning how the the woods and the gold and the silver work together, how to curate things. You start looking at all the things they do. And I'm like, how is that any different than what we do? Right? We have to learn the craft. If you're an audio guy, you have to know how frequencies work. You have to know how compression works. You have to know your EQs. There's so many things that go into not just plug in your mic and then turn the mains up. Right? And Please don't do that, by the way. <laughs> Sadly, you see it too often. No, but, um, you know, and so I thought, wow, that is amazing how the parallel is there. Now, they're not, we're not using the same things, which is actually is one of the things I do. When I bring the verses, I skip all the stuff that they make, the lampstands. I don't talk about that because it, that's less important than the actual, you know, way they're doing it. And that's a direct parallel to exactly what we do, but maybe we don't think about it you know, because we just do it naturally. And so that's why I draw that parallel to say, okay, well, where, where are we? Who, where is our role within the biblical narrative? And it's there, you know, and we just don't think about it because, you know, okay, well, microphones didn't exist 2000 years ago. Therefore, maybe the Bible can't say anything about it. Well, maybe we had to rethink that. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. And, and that leads us into our, our next one. Um, you talk a lot about making sure that the, the, the technical artist understands what they're doing and, and making sure that they understand not just, you know, the, the technical part of being a technical artist, but also the, the, the how they're using, how they're being used to, to kind of further the gospel. Bring this around to the majority of, of, of AV Nation's audience. The majority of our audience is, is integrators. A lot of these folks may or may not be religious, they, that, that, you know, either whichever, wherever they land on that but they still serve the house of worship market, right? Mm -hmm. How do those folks get out of those within the church, those technical artists, their desires, right? How do they, how do they communicate with the churches? You know, um, yeah. So here's the thing. I do this great little quote in the book from the now late Eugene Peterson. It was, uh, and he says that when he sat down with one of his architects and the architect was so focused on, what they wanted to bring to and install and how they want to design the building that they forgot to actually ask what the purpose was that they wanted to achieve. Right. And so if as integrators and manufacturers, maybe our first thing shouldn't be, here's a great set of speakers because I guarantee it probably is right. And mm -hmm. you could probably do a great design, but you know, what is the purpose they're looking to get to? And so if you can connect to, look, if I give you, you know, this line array, one, I can, you know, do everything. It's going to sound better. It's going to save you money, blah, blah, blah. But what about, well, I can reach that person in the back 
who is too afraid to walk up, who shows up late, you know, because they're not really right with, with God yet. And, you know, they're a little insecure. So what if I can make sure that you get good coverage in that area with the person, you know, maybe you're not so concerned about the person who's fine sitting in the front row because they're there serving your church all the time. Maybe you want to reach the person in the back row who is a little insecure and needs this more. So if you could start talking to what's the, the point, the point is to reach people. And that's where integrators can come at. And I don't think that's any different than any other vertical market, right? It's just exactly where we have to get out of thinking about the black box and into what the you know, what is needed by, you know, the tech person. And then if you're meeting with the tech person, because obviously they're the ones who are going to sign off on this, that this is the right piece of gear, you know, it's how can you help them do their job right, right? Because when they're probably the first one who is going to get com- everything thrown at them as far as when the mics drop or people can't hear it right or things like that, you know, they're the ones who are looked at blame, even if the budgets aren't there to put the right things, which is pretty common. So solve those problems and start to build the communication of here. I know what your goal is. Your goal is to reach people. So here's how we can do that. All the other stuff will fall into place and the budget will fall into place if you can achieve that goal. That actually is a really good place to, to end, sir. I appreciate your time. Uh, Joe Way, again, how do people get the book and then how, how do they find you? Yep. Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter at Josiah Way. So my legal name, Josiah Way. Um, and also on my website, josiahway.com. I have links right there to obviously the book, which is at producingworship.com and the same thing at producing worship on Twitter. And of course the uh, higher ed AV podcast as well, a link through there as well. So that is the best way to connect with me. And I'm also on LinkedIn. All right. Very good. We'll put links to, to that, both the higher ed podcast and, and his, his book, Producing Worship. I appreciate your time. For us here at AV Nation, my name is Tim Albright. Uh, you can find us at uh, our website, avnation.tv. avnation.tv, you'll find programs like this, other specials, and also our, our two weekly uh, news programs, both AV Week that covers the commercial side and Resi Week that covers the residential side. So all that and more at avnation.tv, avnation.tv. 